is ridiculous. Welcome, friends, to Perfect Stranger Things, a weekly dance of joy for your eardrums. Today, Steve and I will cover the monster and the superhero. So nice to see Dustin and Steve Harrington together again with their familiar banter. The Will and Mike plot continue to be really interesting. And of course, what you've all been waiting for, a deep dive into Honeycomb, the 1980s cereal, and the commercials about the cereal. That's right, it's Honeycomb, folks. This one's going to be big. Okay, before we get to that, a few words of wisdom from a man who's no stranger to breakfast cereal. That's right, it's Mr. Wilford Grimley. You got a story in here. This is the damn story you ever read. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sit right here and talk about it. Now we'll talk all day if you want it. It's the right thing to do. Steve, we're covering the superhero and the monster, or the monster and the superhero, or one of those two. The super monster. I've identified seven storylines. I have an eight-sided die, and so that means that the Goocher is in play, Steve. If there is an eight-rolled, that means this podcast ends, and we don't look back. We're done. We're done with this particular episode. Interesting that we haven't gotten a lot of feedback about, like, People being anti-Goocher, are they just okay with it? Mm -hmm. Interesting that that we haven't gotten a lot of feedback, period. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, maybe maybe they have a two-sided dice, and they're either going to give them feedback, or I'm going to roll a Goocher and not give them feedback. (laughs) I believe a two-sided dice is called a quarter. (laughs) I will say that our numbers have basically tripled since the new season has come out. Uh, so that's oh, you mean because we have new content, there's more listeners? <laughs> that how it works? <laughs> Something like that. Something I'm like not that. exactly sure how math and science and algorithms mm-hmm. work, but I have it. I I do. It's one of those things they say you like you you know you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of it's kind of same kind of principle. I just want to make clear to everyone that we've watched the first seven episodes and we will refer to them from time to time yeah if you're living and dying on watching the show via this podcast tread cautiously yeah so we've not seen the final two episodes of season four but we have seen the first seven and we will focus here on episode three but if we happen to slip in a spoiler here or there that's just the way it goes because you slipped in one in the last episode. You oh, realized. no. What did I say? Well, it wasn't so much a spoiler, but like you made reference to a, to something Murray said in episode three. Uh. Uh, in the episode two uh, recap. Um, and I had not yet seen episode three. So when you said it, I'm like, oh, well, I guess I missed that. And then I watched it shortly thereafter. And I was like, oh, that Anthony. Mm-hmm. He's... He's hopping all over time. He's all over the timeline. Uh, Well, I'm here to tell you, Steve, that that conversation never happened. I never made that mistake because we haven't released that edit that episode yet. Mm. And I can go back and edit it out. 
So it's sort of like when somebody makes some sort of a comment on somebody's Facebook uh, mm-hmm. post and somebody replies to it, but then the other person's like, mm, you know what, I'm going to delete it. And then that, so the other person just looks like they're insane. <laughs> I'm going to roll this thing. We got ourselves a three. This was my least favorite storyline, but what the hell? Let's just just do it anyway. This is Hopper's storyline. This is the hard part, right? So, like, you get mm-hmm. an eight next, and so all we talk about is Hopper. <laughs> talk about Hopper, and then it ends. <laughs> and then we have to start another podcast. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Hopper's co-conspirator guard friend tells him that Joyce is going to get the money. Hopper worries over Joyce's safety. Seemingly, it's up to Hopper to break out and get to the airplane. Hopper gives his soup and bread to a fellow prisoner. He wants the guy to hit his ankle chains or break his ankle or something. Later on, Hopper slips his foot out of the brace. As you can tell by my description of this storyline, I don't really understand what happens here. Maybe you can help me. Mm. I even paused it. I've watched this twice. I paused it. I don't understand why Hopper wants the guy to hit his ankle brace. It doesn't break the the ankle brace. I I I think he wants him to 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 hit to break him enough, uh, like the ankles, so that he can slip the chain off. You want you think that Hopper wants to bribe a fellow prisoner to turn his ankle into Swiss cheese? Um, I don't know so much if it's Swiss cheese, but it's certainly uh, he wants it to be more uh, malleable, like um, like a sweet Hawaiian roll. Because <laughs> that's that was honestly that's the only thing I could come up with. I was thinking, so you want him to break your ankle, right? But not, like, obliterate it. Like, you can still put weight on it. That's not how ankles work, man. Well, this is not ankle. It's, like, the top hinge of the foot, right? I mean, obviously, the ankle's involved. Huh, okay. So, I guess, yeah, that's that's what I'm, that's what I'm understanding. Let me just say this. that I, I don't have to dwell on this point. This is not going to ruin my enjoyment. This is a fantastic episode. But I don't understand what's happening here. And it feels like this is the fault of the storyteller. Mm. I don't get... If he wants the guy to break his ankle, how is he going to run away? I, well, that's in. Not all the way break it. Just just enough. That's not, just enough. That's not how ankles work. <laughs> that's, my, that's my point. It's really cold in Russia. Oh, he just so, wants to warm his ankle up. That's what... Well, so, so a cold ankle won't break... As much as a hot ankle would. <laughs> I can't believe I'm having to explain this to you. <laughs> All, right. All right. I'm done talking about this storyline. I'm willing to move forward. Well, I'm willing like. to go further because you could roll an eight and then that's it. <laughs> so let's just keep talking about that ankle. <laughs> nope. These are the rules. These are the rules. Right. You got anything okay. else on the Hopper slash Jack and Hagar storyline? I don't know... <laughs> I mean, it's it's a storyline, right? I mean, again, now we're looking. It's impossible to look wait, at wait. this. Can we pause there? Yes, it's a storyline. <laughs> <laughs> yes, your contribution is that it is a storyline. Yeah, I don't disagree. 
I think right. I think we found some common ground here. Right. So this is, of course, us looking through the lens of of having watched seven episodes. <laughs> so clearly, for those of you who have not gone through all seven episodes, and you're wondering, oh, well, this is going to be a really good storyline. Maybe you can tell by the just overall like whatever kind of attitude that we have towards the storyline mm-hmm. might suggest uh, that uh, wait for episode eight and nine, perhaps. <laughs> I'm rolling this. Have ourselves a six, and a six is Max, Dustin, and Steve. The Scooby Doo gang give Eddie good news and bad news. The bad news is that the police are convinced that Eddie is a murderer. The good news is that the general public doesn't know yet. Steve is placed on babysitter duty again when Nancy and Robin split off. Max does recon at the school counselor's house and steals the poor woman's office keys. The group breaks into the high school offices. Max learns that both victims have had childhood trauma and suffer from nightmares. Then Max has the beginning of a Vecna vision. It was great to see Steve and Dustin together again. Yeah, for sure. It was perfect. It was like here, here we are. This is this is Stranger Things. This is what I want. I want Steve trying to make it work with Dan- Nancy. I want Dustin giving Steve advice that he sort of resents because, of course, he should know everything about women. This is the dynamic I, I, I tune in for for sure. Well, and they and they and they've done so much to um, shuffle the deck over the last few seasons, right? In terms of That's who right. can pair, and so like, we're. So the idea that they return to that well enough, right? Because, I mean, it's wise, right? I mean, because that was sort of the, the takeaway, I think, from the first season. Like, we want to see these kids together all the time. But then they start to split them up. And and some people had a hard time with that. But I think there's something kind of right about that, just just in general. Because I think we talked about that, again, on the um, uh, Cuckoo's of Horror podcast about Stand By Me and, like, how the inevitable split of these kids and so right. when when we see that in the beginning of this season right with the with lucas definitely going into a whole new group and kind of still trying to have have it both ways so i think there's something to be said for the inevitability and of, of the split up and and i think that feels it feels right in retrospect as much as we might want to see those kids hang out together it's more logical that they would kind of well also all right also from nancy's perspective you know here we have Steve Harrington, who he's just he's just better looking than Jonathan. Let's just call it out, right? Mm-hmm. He's better looking than Jonathan. Jonathan has more substance. Oddly older in real life, and you would never guess it to put him side by side. <laughs> so, so, what happens with Steve? Steve goes off. He lives a little bit. He experiences some pain. He experiences a breakup. Mm-hmm. He has trouble finding. Uh, a, a girl that he really can connect with. And I think he's become a little bit more substantial of, of a, of a person, right? He's got a little bit more character. He's not just a pretty face anymore. So from Nance's perspective, now he's good looking and he has character. Why not go back to Steve? Right. And, and be, and even to that going further, right? I mean, like the fact that they keep on having him be the quote babysitter, mm-hmm. you do that because you trust him, right? I mean, and he's good with the kids. Mm-hmm. So there's something about that, like, well, so he doesn't like it, but there's, it, it's become so, 
his relationship with the kids and his responsibility uh, for them, it's now just a given, right? And and there's something about that mm-hmm. that, that is interesting. And as they get older, those qualities become more attractive, more attractive than, and she was already, uh, you know, hot for him because mm-hmm. he was, you know, because of the hair and that hair hasn't changed. And now he's a little um, bit cultured, right? So he's got, he's got sort of a more diverse friend group and, you know, he, he gets you discounts at the video. Oh my store. gosh. You might even watch a, a double taped VCR movie with you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's this guy, he's like a renaissance man now. It's really something how the show has, to some degree, I mean, like, really, I'm all in on Harrington, right? I mean, he was the, he was, he was the problem uh, early on in, in the Oh, yeah, he one. was the bully. He was the, the, he was the basketball dummy for a while. Yeah, and then, and then now, see, he's the guy you want. He's the one you want in a crisis at this point, right? I mean, I mean, he's, they Jamie Lannister'd him and it worked. Yeah, they did. Even to the point now that, okay, so later on they're going to put the Scooby-Doo gang together, right, in the Upside Down, right? So clearly you've got Robin as as Velma, uh, Mm -hmm. right? So Nancy is Daphne, clearly, right? And then, you know, you've got your Shaggy. Yeah. Clearly Eddie is the Shaggy character. For sure. That makes Steve Fred. He's Fred. He's for sure Fred. Is Fred not the, like, responsible leader of the gang? He's he's the adult in the room all the time. They've turned Steve Harrington into Fred. That is the Jamie Lannister evolution <laughs> that we've seen with him. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Hot D, Fire and Blood, and the 1980s Shogun miniseries continues. But then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked a question. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter. First two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV Plus, and we'll have a pair of podcasts quantumly linked ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. 
It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. I really liked that for breakfast, Eddie has honeycomb cereal Mm -hmm. and Yoo-Hoo. Yeah, that's great. Did you ever have honeycomb when you were a kid? No. Okay, let me tell you. It was disgusting. Is that right? It was disgusting, but let me ask you this. Did you ever see a honeycomb commercial in the 80s? Honeycomb's big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not small. No, no, no. So I'm going to suggest... Remember Andre, you remember Andre the Giant doing those commercials? Absolutely. Clams a tree. Honeycomb's big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hungry for a big honey taste. Big taste. Honeycomb. Big taste. Wait, wait, no, I'm sorry. I don't think he climbs a tree, but he's as big he's as a tree. He's in the treehouse, right? <laughs> he looks, his big old fat face goes into the treehouse. That's right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now, I want to say that I got to hand it to the honeycomb people. They didn't false advertise anything. All they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not honeycomb's good. <laughs> no, it's big. They just want you to look. Yeah. I want you to know that it's not small. Right. Yeah, everybody out there eating these little tiny tricks, these tiny little cocoa puffs. You want a man-sized breakfast? Yourself some honeycomb. Why don't you chew on this thing that's as big as a wagon wheel and tastes a little <laughs> bit like a honey-covered wagon wheel? It's like yeah, honey-covered pasta. <laughs> so I, I think, yeah, if you're going to do that, just go ahead and eat it. With some Yoo-Hoo, because you need a little bit of flavor. I don't think I've ever had a Yoo-Hoo either. Never had a Yoo-Hoo? Mm-mm. Interesting. You've had chocolate are they milk, carbonated? Though, right? Yeah, but are they carbonated? It's like, it's a chocolate soda, right? Uh, this is, now, now you got me. Maybe I've never had a Yoo-Hoo, but I, I, <laughs> I always thought it was just chocolate milk. I think it's a soda. All right, we're going to pause this and find out. Yoo-Hoo is not a carbonated beverage. Okay. It comes in a bottle can or drink box. Upon opening these containers, there is no carbonation or fizz. Okay. Yeah, this is the kind of research we do for you on Perfect Stranger Things. Was there a cereal that you always saw advertised on a commercial when you were a kid, but you never got to have it? Like, you always thought, my parents were cool, they'd buy me that cereal. So my parents, funny enough, always got me cereal. Like, always had sugar cereal. All right. But the one that they would never let me get was Cookie Crisp. Which is, which just, they are little just tiny cookies, right? 
Right, but so is all that cereal. <laughs> like all of those cereal. Like my mom was like, that's just cookies. Here, have Cocoa Puffs. I'm like that's just balls of crunchy chocolate. Fruit Loops, I mean, come on. This, those are Skittles you can pour so milk on. my parents rarely would buy the sugary stuff, so I'd have to... I'd have to try these things at Jeff's house. Of course. And uh, he did have Cookie Crisp. And let me just say, not good. Oh, not really? good. Oh, because yeah, you build it up in your mind, right? Yeah, yeah. You just think that's going to taste like the best cookie I've ever had in milk. Uh, this would be yeah. perfect for breakfast. Right. You would think so. Nope. One of the worst, one of the worst cereals I ever had was Captain Crunch's uh, variation, Cocoa Crunch. Oh. Oof. No Gross. good. It's huh? crazy. You would think it would just be cocoa puffs with their little whatever they are, little, uh-huh. their little. But no, it was oh, it was so bad. All right, I'm gonna roll this thing. Well, do we want to talk anything about Max and? Oh, we ought to talk about every episode should be a Max appreciation episode. I mean, her character seems like such a such an anchor to this. Max, I'm sorry, I, I really can't discuss this. You wouldn't want me talking to any other students about you, right? If I were dead and it would help catch the killer, then yeah, I most definitely would. I knew, I knew she was going to be next. Uh, you know, again, we're looking back through having already seen the seven, but I don't know how you felt in three and four, especially. But th- when when Max is presented with the Vecna problem, yeah, uh, I was. That's where I was probably at my most tense. Yeah, me too. And we'll and I, get and we'll talk more about it in the next episode for sure. Um, but but like I knew it was going to come. I mm-hmm. knew that that and, and I just did. I I'm so hooked on this Max character uh, that I was I was I was so invested, and so that the, when when the danger presents itself, when she's she has the vision, I'm just like, oh no. Well, and I'll even go further. You know, early on when I just seen the first episode, I thought, oh, they're going to play with trauma and that's going to be the Lovecraft monsters way into the psyche of these kids. Is there, He's going to find mm-hmm. some kind of past trauma. And I think that Max is on a, colli- a collision course uh, with the cheerleader's name. I forget her name. Christy. I think her name was Chrissy. Yeah, Chrissy. Chrissy. Yeah, so I think I thought they're on a collision course. And so when Chrissy dies, I started thinking, oh no, the only other solution to this is that is Max is going to be the next target for Vecna. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when she, at the end of this episode, when she starts to see a vision, my thought is they're going to kill her. Yep, that's what I was thinking. Because I thought she's not one of the original gang, but she she they, they've they've really wanted to connect the audience to her emotionally in this season. If they want to raise the stakes of this thing, they could absolutely kill Max. Right, and raising the stakes was the thing. Right, you get the sense of everything's gotten darker, everything's yeah. gotten a little more mature. Mm-hmm. Um, these people have experienced. I mean, Nancy's experience lost with Barb, right? But but in terms of how they presented, they've never done that really with somebody who was was more than an ans- like an ancillary character. Because they're killing people in this season. They're absolutely killing people, right? I mean, right. they they killed Sean Astin. You know, you were sort of 
marginally connected to him emotionally through Joyce. Right. Um, so here's my question to you, Steve. Right? So they, they didn't end up killing Max, but is it possible when we get to the end of season four that one of these children will die? Um, I mean, it's possible. Now, when you when you say children, can we extend that out to Steve Harrington? Uh, yeah, I think I think he's one of the. See, I think if you think about this, if you think about sort of the original gang, right? So there's four boys. There's Nancy. There's Jonathan. There's Steve. I think that that those seven occupy really central space. Mm-hmm. Max seems to have averted disaster, but I don't know. Do you think? Do you think that? I don't of, think. I feel like I feel like Max has armor now. Yeah, so do you think one of the original seven will die? Well, we're getting to season five, right? Are we? Five is ready to go if they get the thumbs up. Interesting. Well, there's no way that they're not um, going to get the thumbs up. This is... Right, could you imagine? <laughs> I think we're good. You're probably leaving a billion dollars on the table if you don't go in for five, right? So Right. Yeah, so I don't... I mean, so then that... that sort of changes my thought on uh do you is it more would you be more apt to kill off a main character in the final season or the, the penultimate season Cause this isn't game of thrones you know this is this is stranger things this is a different a different vibe it's a different type of audience mm-hmm. i don't know how because you have because you you've killed off characters like billy who you've also made like bad in many ways in many ways you made it so that he was most of his time spent is being uh being on the uh, you know the wrong side of morality Mm -hmm. um chrissy was brand brand new so you don't have the opportunity to really be invested right so this Mm -hmm. was killing off kids but killing off kids that we don't have much of a relationship with game of thrones trained us early don't fall in love with anyone this would be a it would be a new approach for Stranger Things, mm-hmm. and I don't know, I don't know yeah. if the audience has that kind of training and appetite right. for it. So let's let's just put it this way: if you kill, if you're willing to kill Sean Aston, that means that you're willing to introduce a new character, make people like him, and then kill him. Same thing with Billy, right? Bring on mm-hmm. a new character, make him somewhat interesting, kill him off, uh, you know, then maybe. Maybe Paul Reiser occupies that space. Maybe Eddie occupies that space. Maybe Eddie occupies that space. That's right. So Eddie, I think Eddie is vulnerable here. I think Eddie is vulnerable to die not at Vecna's hands, though. I think Eddie is vulnerable to die as as a result of the satanic panic or as a result of Uh. something. So so I think... I I think there is a... I mean, there's a a reasonable likelihood that um, Vecna causes some mortal damage to to one of the kids but i think he's already doing that right i mean vecna's got a body count that just is already increasing so i don't know that you necessarily have to do that to elevate vecna uh, badness whereas we haven't really seen the satanic panic rear its ugly and i feel like there is i feel like there's still a story that that they want to tell with this i think they want to it's not enough that they're out there they're this sort of this, they're they're a lynch mob right now that we don't that hasn't had the opportunity to do the lynching yet. 
I feel like someone's someone will go too far. Right. So that's where I think you could see maybe even an Eddie falls falls to that. So then there's like there's also a, another level of monstrosity. There's another level of evil that they don't get to contend with, or that they still have to contend with even if they close a gate. Hmm. Well, this episode we see that Patrick, one of the basketball mob, basketball bully guys, you know, he's the victim, right? So you've already killed right. off one of those guys. It makes me wonder. Mm, I don't know if the, if another one of those guys goes down. Probably not. Um, right. It would be. You know, it would be interesting. It'd be interesting if it was like Powell or Callahan, because they function as a total skeptic to this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So to watch one of them actually realize that this is all supernatural would be kind of an interesting twist. Yeah, that would be something. I'm going to roll this thing. This is a number one. Another Hopper. <laughs> this is this is the Jack and Hagar plot where Hopper <laughs> is given three death wishes. Um, this is Hopper. This is all about Hopper's bread. <laughs> this is the what I'm calling the Paul Reiser plot, Steve. Oh, I'm mad about this one. Yeah, good, very nice, very very good. Mad about you, uh, <laughs> joke there. And I just want everyone to know that I know that his name is Sam Owens in the show, but he's gonna be Paul Reiser. I'm just gonna call him Doctor Reiser. That that's who he Paul is. Reiser, Paul Reiser is Paul Reiser all the time, right? I mean, like. That's right. Has there ever been a time where you've seen something with Paul Reiser? Like, oh my God, that's been Paul Reiser? I totally got immersed in that character. <laughs> I even rewatched uh, Diner again the other day. Have you ever seen Diner? Oh, yeah. No, I haven't. It's really worth it. And I, I guarantee you, 100% of Paul Reiser's scenes, he is Paul Reiser. When I go to Punchline, yeah. there are elevated sections of the club that I think should be called the Paul Reiser's. You know, former stand-up. Sure. Why not? Hey, what, what, what What would it hurt? What would it hurt to call It wouldn't hurt anything. I mean, I think that'd be great. Like, if we could officially name them the Paul Reiser. We're leaving a few laughs on the table here, folks. <laughs> um, this is the Paul Reiser plot. Dr. Reiser wakes to the sound of a helicopter. Sullivan informs him about events in Hawkins. Blames the scientists for it. And most of all, Eleven. Then Sullivan accuses Ryder of hiding Eleven or knowing of her whereabouts. Later on, Dr. Reiser waylays Elle's prison transport and recruits her into his service. This is sort of uh, Reiser doing the Nick Fury character in Avengers, right? Or Dr. X or whatever. He's, He's the guy who wants to recruit the superhero. You know, the idea of, of a superhero was right in the, the title of the episode, right? Right. You're not recruiting the monster. You're not recruiting the monster, although Eleven calls herself a monster. Right. And so here she is. She's got to make a choice. She's got the, the special abilities. She has to be, you know, sort of pointed in the right direction in the way that Nick Fury wants to sort of Point the Incredible Hulk in the right direction. Well, what's her alternative, right? I mean, go do time for assault with the skate? It really does. 
it it really does give you the clues about the riser betrayal, right? Because it's not a choice. It's sort of given to her honey-coated. Like, are you going to choose? Are you going to help your friends? You know, very Star Wars, you know, help your friends kind of thing. That's what heroes do. Right. But he doesn't state the alternative. The alternative is you go to jail. So it's almost no choice at all. Yeah, he can make they can make it all go away. How are you feeling about Riser? I'm pro Riser, like almost unapologetically. Yes, I did say that he doesn't do much more than be Paul Riser, but um But you like watching Paul Riser do Paul Riser things. Well, and I think now especially, right, it's nice because we're getting we get like just a a taste of Riser in our lives. I think mm-hmm. for a while we we may have been getting a little inundated with Riser. Like maybe maybe the the lesson that we learned in like the early nineties was a little riser goes a long way and mm-hmm. maybe maybe we were we were getting a little too aggressive with it. But I don't think um, we knew how good we had it. Because I, I don't feel like I've ever seen anything that Riser's done that I dislike. Right, right. So I mean he had Mad About You, which is this wildly successful uh sitcom. Mm-hmm. Um it launched uh, Helen Hunt into obscurity once it was over. Mm. Um, and yeah, and, and, and I think what we're seeing is, and I'm a little, I mean, who knows? I don't, I, I don't know what else might be out there, but I feel like, I feel like we could get more riser in our life now. Like that persona transcends age, uh, body type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen anything that he's done that I disliked. I feel like he's, you could just plug him into any fatherly role, any scientist role. You could, you know, you could put him on a spaceship. You know, you could he's do a lot the, of things. He's the smarmy. He's the smarmy cop uh, in Detroit with Axel Foley. Oh, is that right? I forgot about that part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. At this point in the show, did you get that Paul Reiser was going to eventually betray Eleven, or were you thinking? Oh no! We, we this is this is the adult. We needed an adult to to sort of guide the Scooby Doo gang. Why not Paul Reiser? Yeah, I think I was more in the in the latter at that point. Like uh-huh. I, I kind of felt like, um, especially because he was already in the midst of betraying something, right? So because sure. he was betraying the Sullivan, the yeah. Sullivan, Sullivan, right? So Sullivan like creates a uh, with non extraterrestrial type villain right or a bad guy like a, it's a it, he's he's a complication here on their playing field right and so mm. so the idea of riser kind of stepping in yeah it feels like in the absence of hopper and joyce here's an adult who's got some power got some juice that can kind of move things along geographically too that's what i kind of saw mm-hmm. as a, like cause i kind of saw him and maybe like this role is a key to to a lot of things like maybe maybe this will help Hopper get back that kind of thing right like there's mm-hmm. there's a way that he you know because he's got juice there's clearly some there's there's funding there's there's some power there I wasn't even tracking the idea that it could be a betrayal mm-hmm. how about you I I always wondered because of his because I know the aliens kind of influenced season one. When I saw Riser uh, cast in this, I thought I'm ready for a betrayal here. Right. Okay. That's interesting. So I so I didn't actually get it. I mean, Hopper turned or Hopper Riser turned out to be a pretty good guy. 
uh, previously. And right, so, and I think, and I think that was the thing is I did not trust him in season uh, two. So then I was like, okay, well, I guess he's trustworthy. Yeah, that's like right. I thought, like I thought he had kind of come full circle right. when we saw that. Yeah, they pulled a switcheroo on us, Steve. Yeah, it's pretty great. I think, I think it's pretty, pretty clever. Pretty clever. Now I will say this: I don't know how the intricacies of prison transfers work, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that they don't happen on the side of a road. <laughs> like I don't know what kind of badges these guys are flashing, but my guess is that. This is not how prisoners are <laughs> transferred oh, to custody. Come up alongside us and block us, and <laughs> yeah, that was a little. You bit... know how we do. We always have a bit of a flair for the dramatic and the in, with the feds. <laughs> so I, I mean, they've got to have some pretty special badges, even if these are the FBI. I mean, it feels like, hey, you know what? We, let's not do this on the side of the road because this seems really <laughs> sketchy to me. Right. <laughs> I think I'm going to take this van where they told me to take the van first. Why don't you follow along? So this comes up not only in this episode, but in several. Um, and I realize that there's not a bunch of adults around. But, I mean, these are all minors. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how much interrogation you could do without a parent present. Like, even just out the gate. Like, as soon as you've made an arrest, I'm not even sure that, like... Oh, sure. Can... Yeah, well, she doesn't have... Okay, so she doesn't have a parent or guardian, right? Right. So she should be under the custody of, like, a social worker. Right, right. These are dirty cops. They're all dirty. They're all on the take. The cops of Lenora will make the cops of Baltimore blush, Steve. <laughs> Is that right? That's a <laughs> bold statement here on Perfect Stranger Thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to roll this thing. Number four, this is 11. Elle looks on as Angela bleeds. Argyle opines about the rampant roller skate attacks in Lenora. You ever wonder why the wheels aren't wood, man? Or metal? It's so people don't get hurt when they get smacked. Mm. Yeah, because it happens more than you think, man. Roller skate attacks. <laughs> Uh, Eleven confronts Mike over the fact that he doesn't say he loves her anymore. Then she is arrested. The boys can do nothing about it because Joyce is on a flight to Alaska. Elle is interrogated. She tells the cops that she doesn't know if she wanted to kill Angela or not. While being transported to a juvenile facility, her van is stopped on the highway. Dr. Riser takes her to a diner where she reveals that she's lost her powers. Riser thinks that he might be able to reinstate her power, perhaps even stronger than before. I sort of like that this show is dealing with the aftermath of a bully comeuppance. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we most of the time in these sort of 80s high school shows, the climax of the story is that the bully gets a comeuppance, the bullied gets back, right? You Payback time. But then there's no consequence for it. Right. Uh, in this show, what they've decided to do is they said, okay, well, the bully gets what they were asking for all along, but then the bully presses charges. Yeah. That's exactly how it would go, right? Angela's parents yeah. are totally going to press charges. Of course they are, especially against this outcast girl. That they're not even from the area, you know? I mean, it's at all. It would, of course they would. Exactly. And, and shouldn't they? <laughs> and shouldn't they, though? <laughs> I mean, obviously, you could say, well, you know, there's bullying and uh-huh. and you know, all that stuff. I was like, sure, 
But this was, this was assault. I'm sure that Angela's parents think that she's the bee's knees, right? They, oh, yeah. they have no idea what she's. How do you feel? So it looks like we've got some strained love, right? I mean, that's what we're seeing across the board. Like all these relationships that sort of formed romantically are all mm-hmm. fraying a little bit, right? Well, this one's got a special. This one's problematic because you've got the threshold of high school, right? There's no way your mm-hmm. your junior high relationship survives that. Then you've got the long distance relationship thing. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the varying levels of maturity, right? So L is just kind of catching up with the English language, right? And Mike is just kind of starting to realize that if you like someone, you have to tell them. He doesn't. Right. He doesn't really know how to express himself in the way that a lot of you know young men don't know how to do. So this relationship just feels doomed, right? And I think it's. I mean, the, you get the sense he was like. I mean, look, that was the first girl that like really gave him any. You know, like he kind of claimed her. When you look back in season one, right? I mean, of course he's enamored with her. He's in junior high. Mm-hmm. She's. He's looking for someone that she can cling to, right? And so he he serves that role. Well, and he's into fantasy narrative, right? So Right, exactly. The, so all of the stories, she's, she's the damsel in distress in all of the stories that he's been playing. Well, not only right? is she is is she the damsel in distress, but she's also the magic that that he right. pretends to be around. And so like she's she checks boxes that most people don't get to to have. So it doesn't even and so he's what kind of relationship is it, right? I mean, he's he's in high school, or he's a junior high, high school, he's horned up, so it's like, girl's a girl in some regards. Plus, she's magic. Well, it's not just Plus, a girl, like it's he's... a girl that has shown him the time of day. Like, this is the first right. girl that's ever given him attention, and... She thinks he's cool. She thinks he's cool, and that that's everything, right? So, I mean... The the magic is also pretty great too, but right. But any girl that like looks at him that way, he's going to go gaga over. And so now you have Elle, who you know she's already had such a hard time with with trust and relationships. You know, friends don't lie, friends don't do, and mm-hmm. and so she's she's just trying to navigate humanity. So really, I mean, in many ways, Mike's the worst thing that's happened to her. He actually is the person who's a little bit. Let me just put it this way. In this episode, he has a point. He notices that she's gone violent. He wants to talk to her about it. And then all of a sudden she changes the subject to, you don't love me anymore. So I kind of feel like he's a little bit, I'm not, I think people know I'm not Mike's biggest fan. I'm not a big Mike guy. But in this particular episode, I think he's trying to act maturely as much as he knows how to act maturely. He wants to talk oh, it yeah. through. Right. Well, I mean, but that's, and that's a, the flaw in that is that's a little too late for that, Mike. Because Mike is, is, again, we're talking about a kid, especially in the junior high uh, episodes. We're talking about a kid, though, that sort of set L on this path. L needed, what did she need, right? She, she probably didn't need a, a steady boyfriend. Uh, at this particular <laughs> she, moment, she could probably use some life. counseling, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, maybe a chip in her neck. Spoiler: She probably could uh, use a parental figure that's not flying off to Alaska with weird Murray. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's so 
so L L was sort of doomed by her relationship with Mike, and then yeah. Mike, but Mike being a more well-adjusted uh, teen, just by virtue of you know not having grown up in a uh, laboratory yeah. being experimented on. Um, he's like kind of maturing at the level that you would expect, right? Like, so, so he should be more mature now than he was when they first met. Um, but she's still figuring things out, like just things, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. And so, so for, so yeah, it's like he gets credit for articulating and trying to be sensitive and understand her situation. That's all great. But again, this is, <laughs> she's in the situation where she, wants to know why he doesn't seem to love her as much anymore and and all that stuff while she's pounding people with skates and she's like well mm-hmm. i can't here's the thing mike i pounded her with a skate because usually what i do is i break their bones with my mind or <laughs> i make them pee themselves in the middle of the gym you know the things i would do for you with my mind i don't have that anymore Maybe I'm a violent person who just has plausible deniability because I got no fingerprints on skates. I'd make the skate fly across the room. (laughs) Maybe if you would have just signed one letter, I love you, I wouldn't have almost killed the girl at the roller rink. (laughs) Maybe put a heart. Just draw a heart. Uh, I'm not sure what to think about... uh... All right, I'm try. I'm trying. I'm I'm really trying to to uh, give Jonathan the benefit of the doubt and thinking, yeah, well, he's stoned, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I've hung around with a lot of stoned people in my life. I, I don't think it makes them stupid, especially Jonathan, right? Jonathan doesn't seem like, like, like that. Like the, Argyle, yeah. Argyle. We don't know enough about Argyle, like to know is he stoned or is he stupid or is it is it a combination of both. Jonathan is. I could buy. A, I could buy it on been. Argyle, right? I feel like all right. Argyle's been doing this a very long time. His brain's just fried, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe that's just his. Maybe he's not stoned at all. Maybe that's just who he is. Right. I'm not buying that Jonathan has all of a sudden gone down twenty IQ points. <laughs> right. I mean, because he's because he has been the. Uh, He's been the adult in the room most of the time, right? right? I mean, but the argument that I might make on behalf of Jonathan's stupidity is is he's over it, <laughs> you know? Like maybe he's real high a lot, <laughs> and and it allows him to be like, I I don't really want to be responsible for everything. Mm-hmm. All the time. Because uh, my mom will go to Alaska. She just, that's kind of her thing. All right, I've got an alternate theory here. He's never high. Because he's acting like a guy who's pretending to be high. Oh. I don't know if you've ever been around people who are pretending to be high. Oh, yeah. Uh, but they're insufferable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And High is fine. <laughs> high is fine. High is preferable to people pretending to be high. Or maybe, you know, maybe the Duffer brothers have never tried marijuana before. <laughs> this is this is also plausible. Because I'm pretty sure Jonathan, I'm pretty sure that actor knows exactly what it's like to be high. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, we think about, like, I mean, you know, 
if people want to hear our discussion on Teen Wolf, and they should, but on the uh, the Cocoons of Horror podcast that we talked about, like the portrayal of like the high school party, it was like never a high school party right. that we'd ever heard of or seen. And we said, well, maybe they've never been to a high school party, so they just let their imagination run wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe the same thing with the Duffer Brothers. Like they've got their, you know, obviously they have a D and D background. But maybe they were they were uh, drug free, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so they're like, yeah, high people all look like and sound like this. I'm gonna roll it. That's a goocher. And like that, they're gone. Oh Jesus, man, that's a goocher. Hey, it's time for another season of Why Is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple: a Gen Xer and a millennial watch old '80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeny. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why Is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why Is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R.R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-run movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members, with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. 
Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is rewarding to itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. So, Steve, I thought I would solicit feedback for the new Steve and Anthony joint Double Dragon. Mm, Yes. Our seven fans have spoken, and it's time for us to create another platform. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And uh, so Double Dragon, as you might have guessed, is dragon adjacent. So we will be covering all kinds of stuff, including Pete's Dragon. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Oh, please. Yes, sir. And House of the Dragon on HBO. Mostly just House of the Dragon, but, I mean, what the heck? What the heck? <laughs> yeah, we're for sure going to cover The Last Dragon. Uh, in fact, we might actually do another podcast, which is just The Last Dragon. <laughs> Call that one the never, the never Ending Dragon. A lot of karate-themed dragon shows. What was the... Uh... What was the dragon one with McConaughey? Uh, uh, Rain it, of Fire? Rain of Fire, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never saw, never saw Rain of Fire, although... I, yeah, I just, I have that, that image of McConaughey with, like, an axe flying through the air in slow motion. Like, that's just permanently just branded into my brain. Yeah, odd how some movie trailers are just indelibly cemented. Where the movie itself might be a little bit uh, vague, right? Right, and it's funny because like I have seen that movie, and in fact, I tried to watch it a second time, but I was just like, you know, there will probably be no no sequence in this film that's as good as that image. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't I just watch that a bunch? And I did. Uh, so anyway, here's what we're gonna do with Double Dragon. Uh, it'll be Steve and I covering Double Dragon. Uh, sorry, it'll be Steve and I. <laughs> Just a video game. Uh, we're gonna we're, it, it, see us on Twitch. Uh, we're gonna be playing uh, NES Original Double Dragon. Um, I'll be blue. Anthony will be red. Uh, I guess I am in a red state now. That, that, That's that true. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it will be us covering House of the Dragon. But from time to time, I might have uh, one of your favorite professor of medieval studies on to answer specific questions about the medieval world and so if you would help us out i'd really appreciate it to send any questions that you might have about life in the medieval world or politics or anything that you think that might be house of the dragon adjacent and go ahead and send those to cocoons of horror at gmail.com or i suppose you could send those to book at baldmove.com either way that would help us out um what about you steve do you do you have any questions burning questions that you might want to ask a medievalist i'm sure i do and i'm sure it has very little to do with their profession well, i did get some interesting cod piece information recently uh oh, in a in a recent bukulu episode uh found out it's not not just for looks they, if, you know these things actually were functional it's for taste <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get them. They they, they come flavored. <laughs> so the same question... the same, com- the same company that makes the scented uh, markers. Mm. Um. So question number one: 
were cod pieces ever flavored? Oh, I see. I had to jump straight to what's your favorite flavor of cod piece. I don't, I don't want. I don't need a lot of backstory. I want. I want to see application of this knowledge. <laughs> right. I'm not saying you eat the cod piece. You don't eat the cod piece. Let's be clear before we start getting uh, hate mm-hmm. mail, which is fine too. Mm-hmm. Hate mail is fine. We'll read it. Um, it's uh, it's you would use the cod piece would also function as as a cup. Like to drink out of, like so you could just put plain water in oh. it, but it would take on the flavor of the cod piece. So it it would sort of give like it was like the uh, a Lacroix of the time. <laughs> so are you saying Lacroix takes on the flavor of the can that it's in? Well, if you look at look, La- well, no, it's, it's flavored, right? So like Lacroix, and if you translate it, it is the crotch. This is the kind of stuff that you'll get on our new podcast, Double Dragon. <laughs> and this is why Anthony will pre-record his interviews with medievalists and then go to our segment. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah, any questions uh, to cocoonsofhorror at gmail.com or book at baldmove.com. Any questions that... For a professional medievalist that you would love to have answered. Otherwise, I'll have to ask the questions. And we've already had a glimpse of what that might look like. <laughs> this is on you, people. Any questions about LaCroix, you can send those to <laughs> at OzFest. <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's Steve's Instagram handle. He knows everything there is to know about LaCroix. Contact me directly for all your sparkling water queries. Mm-hmm.